Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples. On today's podcast, we welcome another visiting scholar, Tassos Lycurgo, to the podcast. Tassos is president of Defense of Faith International Ministries and a faith college, and we'll get more into the background as we go. But Ken, uh, for now, let's uh, introduce our guest. Uh, welcome, Tassos, and let's learn about RTB's Visiting Scholar Program a bit. Yeah, Tassos, it's really wonderful to have you on our program, Clear Thinking. I've uh, admired your work for a long time, appreciate your your candor and your courage and your careful thinking, so it's really great to have you here as a visiting scholar. Thank you so much for having me here. My pleasure to be here. You know, it's a privilege to be at RTB, Reasons to Believe, that has done a wonderful job to know spread the kingdom of God. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, Joe, I thought we would cover uh, kind of a a look at our culture. Uh, The Germans have a term called Zeitgeist, uh, the spirit of the age, uh, you know, the way things are in the moral, intellectual, and spiritual perspective on life. So I'm going to have you to jump in from time to time with your questions. Yeah, well, I have one right at the outset. Uh, people who have just heard your voice, Tassos, might be wondering where you're from, and maybe you can yeah. give us a little background on uh, where you live, where you're from, and what brought you here. I'm I'm from the deep south. <laughs> 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 yeah, Brazil, right? Brazil, the real, <laughs> the real south, <laughs> the real south, yeah, deep south, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I live in a city called Natal. It's a very nice city. It's on the coast. And I work at the Federal University of RN, which is a state over there. I'm a full professor there and a lawyer as well in a trony and a, and a pastor. Wow. And you're here in America. Have you, have you been to America before? Is this the first time? No, I've been to America many times. Great. Yeah, it's a great country. And uh, I really like it. Yeah, I've Good. been. Good. Uh, Joe, he's going to be giving a presentation tomorrow to our staff on looking yeah. at the cultural situation in which we have. So he's going to be working with us, and uh, we're very glad to have him. Uh, Tassos, I'd like to begin by by saying that historic Christianity has has always kind of looked at the world through what I would call the the prism of truth goodness and beauty. But I've noticed over the last 50 years, uh, maybe increasingly in the last few years, that we appear to be moving in a direction that's very different than those classical uh, transcendental categories of truth, goodness, and beauty. In my mind, and I want to talk with you about this, It seems to me that we really are in the West experiencing a culture war, and I think it's primarily in maybe five or six areas, a culture war about truth, about moral values, about freedom of speech, uh, language, and education. And, uh, you know, as I study philosophy and theology, 
it seems like a very strong postmodern, post-truth idea has moved through the Western world. And uh, I know in South America, some of these issues are even more difficult to push back upon. So I wonder if you take uh, a few minutes and talk to us about your impression of this modern culture war, and then maybe we can touch on these five areas. Yeah, excellent. You know, when you see God creating the oceans, he looks at the oceans and he, don't, he doesn't say it is beautiful. It's, he says it is good mm-hmm. because what is good is beautiful and it is true. Yeah. So goodness, beauty, and truth are inseparable from yeah. God's perspective, the metaphysics, aesthetics, and ethics are inseparable from God's perspective. But in nowadays, we have no people in culture and arts doing the opposite. Mm. The art production in nowadays is ugly, false, and bad. Yeah. You know? And uh, this is the what they call the post-modernism, uh, uh, which is, I wouldn't say it is... Uh, system of thought or it is more a fashion mm. because you know if you take if you really think about it it doesn't uh if you if you go to a doctor you don't want a doctor to do whatever he thinks is true <laughs> that's right right i mean if you <laughs> if you want to build a house you don't want the engineer you no know, just doing whatever he thinks is true you want something that is really true right yeah so but when it comes to culture and education in those areas you mentioned, it's a, it is much easier to do that because uh, they don't want to do the correspondence between the thinking and the reality. Yeah. What, what the communist uh, thought, thought want to do in nowadays is get rid of reality. Just know whatever you think, it must be true. And uh, from a religious perspective, if you get rid of the truth, you're getting rid of Jesus. John, in the book, uh, Gospel of John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am aletheia, I am the truth. And he says aletheia, which is the same word uh, the Greeks were investigating for centuries so it is something theologically very, very dangerous to say that there is no truth. Mm. So this is what is happening nowadays. And you're right. In those areas you mentioned, uh, no, we are normalizing the craziness. There is no something that you can say is crazy anymore. Yeah. yeah they do whatever they want and they want us to accept it. So it comes to the linguistic terms when you have to accept do this crazy stuff, we start to talk in the way they want us to talk. It changes our thinking. It changes our action. So this is difficult times, as you said. So let's pick up on that truth. So in a, in a classical Western thought, uh, which would include Greek and Christian, uh, truth, is, they have a realist view of truth. Truth uh, corresponds to reality. If I believe 2 plus 2 is 4 and 2 plus 2 really is 4, then I know the truth of that arithmetic. 
Um, if, uh, if there's a real world out there and I see the world, there is a correspondence view. Uh, now, lots of thinkers for some time, uh, I think particularly uh, some of the French thinkers, Foucault and Derrida and others, have, uh, you know, offered a, a very different way of thinking about that. So, I mean, it, it seems self-refuting to say there is no truth, but are they arguing that there is no absolute truth, there's no objective truth? Is, is, that, is that lost? Yes. Uh, when you go to the Greeks and you read the Tetetus, which is yeah. a dialogue written Plato. by Plato, right? Yeah. It's in Tetetus, you get there the traditional definition of knowledge. Knowledge is a justified true belief. Mm. So the belief has to be true to be considered as knowledge. Yeah. So in nowadays, they think that you can have knowledge without it being true. Wow. So it, it is on the basis of any of these communist ideologies that are destructing the civilization, the Western civilization. So when you say, for example, that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man, you're getting rid of the truth. I mean, I'm not saying that someone can believe, a man can believe that he's a woman. He can believe that he's a woman, but in order for him to be a woman, it has to be true. The yeah. only way you accept that a man can be a woman is that is if you get rid of the truth. So this is everywhere. But as I told you, when you go to a doctor and then you go to an engineer or something like that, you don't use it. I mean, you just want to do this in the cultural realm, in the educational realm, and uh, this is the way it is. So in adopting this kind of relativistic view, subjective view of truth, it's not only moving away from kind of traditional Western civilization, kind of the Greek-Roman background, but it's moving away from Christianity because as you, as you quoted John 14.6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, there's a real world out there. It's, it is, it's, a, it's good. L well, let's touch upon some of these other uh, issues. Uh, you mentioned values. Um, talk, talk a little bit about this very different perspective concerning what is, what is good and what we consider to be of, of genuine value. You know, the... When the first couple was in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? The suggestion yeah. was God doesn't need to be the source of moral values. You mm -hmm. can be the source of moral values. You, human being, can be the source of moral values. The same suggestion is, doing, is today. So people want not God to be the source of values, they want themselves to be the source of values. So therefore, we have this relative, relative, relativistic perspective yeah. on moral values, and it's really, really destructive. Just at just as it was in the beginning, it is today, very destructive, because whatever you desire is good, is true. This is a suggestion the postmodern suggestion. If you want it, if you desire it, if you really 
want to do that, go, go ahead, no, yeah. go for it. It must be true. It must be good. It is not the real truth. Truth, not the real goodness. It's subjective yeah. idea of of what is true and what is good, and the consequence of it is that it is destructing the Western civilization. Yeah. So, in in thinking about truth, goodness, and beauty, these transcendentals, we seem to be now faced with not truth but falsity, not goodness but badness, not beauty but a, an ugliness, and all of that's kind of rooted in that subjective element. Uh, Joe, I want to ask Tassos another question, and then I want you to get an opportunity to jump in. Tassos, when I was studying philosophy 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I remember reading Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, uh, in his statement that God is dead, that in the Western world, the intellectual elite doesn't believe in God. But I thought Nietzsche was very insightful in that he thought that Western culture and our values, our views of truth, goodness, and beauty were grounded in a Judeo-Christian perspective. I mean, he even thought that science itself was an outgrowth of a Christian worldview. So do you see this postmodern spirit that has enveloped the Western world, including Brazil, including America, do you see this postmodern spirit? It's taken a while to kind of unpackage, but do you see it coming from uh, the the 18th, 19th century thinking? How would you identify that kind of historical uh, backdrop, if you will? Yeah, when it comes to Nietzsche in his book, Das Sprachen Zarathustra, how is it in English? Das Speak Zarathustra. Das Speak Zarathustra, yeah. Zarathustra went to the peak of the mountains and when the, the midday, when the shadows would, should be very small, right? Yeah. But Zarathustra didn't, uh, I mean, he couldn't stay there for a long time. He went down here. So when Nietzsche is saying is that, you know, if you want to be the source of truth, if you want to be something like that, it's not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work. You know, yeah. uh, Nietzsche is funny because D- Nietzsche, when Nietzsche says that God is dead, what he's really saying is that some people are living nowadays as God didn't, wasn't necessary anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. I mean, you can do that, but the consequence is very bad. Yeah, that's what we have to to really grasp. We have to understand, and the beginning of it, I think, is from. It's, I mean, when the in the end of the day, the problem is the sin. Yeah, in human nature, that's yeah. the problem. As we were talking about, uh, when humankind said that I can be the source of moral values, this is the beginning of everything. All the way back to the, to the fall in the garden. Yes, I mean. Yeah. Now, another way of kind of thinking about this is, again, we've got truth, goodness, and beauty. But in the last 20 years, uh, what we hear in America is race, gender, and class. Th- those seem to be the prism by which people look at these types of issues. And so in, instead of the problem of sin, it's the problem of race, uh, oppressors and oppressed, um, you know, it, it's the problem of, of 
class, but it, but it appears that this Marxist idea of a classless society, they've kind of set the the economic issues aside, and it and it's brought to things like uh, gender. It's brought to things like uh, you know your your personal situation in life. That's right. Marx and Engels they try to figure out how society would work, and uh, for his their perspective, we would have a feudalism and then capitalism, and then communism. Feudalism, and then we'd have some contradictions inside, and then a revolution, uh, you know. Thesis, antithesis, yeah, synthesis. a bourgeois uh, revolution, and then capitalism, and then you would have uh, contradictions and everything, and a revolution, and a proletariat revolution, and then communism. It was their idea. I mean, the idea is interesting, but the problem with the idea is that it didn't work. Uh, In 1917, we have the Russian Revolution. In the Russian Revolution, we we had uh, uh, feudalism and then communism. The bourgeoisie was very small. So it proved that Marx's ideas were wrong, right? The yeah. problem with Marx is that his ideas are wrong. And some post-Marxist uh, thinkers, even Lenin in the Russian Revolution, right. he did something different. He said, instead of acting in the economic field as Marx did we should do, we're going to act on the more and more in the ideological field. Because for Marx, the economic infrastructure was the basis for everything, and the ideological superstructure was the consequence of the economic infrastructure. But Lenin said, let's do something more political, less economical. So Lenin did that. But after Lenin, we had a very important uh, thinker. He's he's Italian. Uh, He was in prison under a Mussolini, Mussolini's regime where he wrote the prison letters. This is a very important book. I mean, what he says in this book is that we have to work not anymore in the economic field, but you have to work in the ideological field. Wow. So instead of having the opposition in the economic field, like you said, you know, the employer and the employee and so yeah. forth, you're going to have the opposition in the ideological field. Is the woman, man, homosexual, heterosexual, you know, uh, black, white, and indigenous people and non-indigenous people and so forth. So this uh, thing is, uh, is not anymore in the economy, but now is in the ideology. Yeah. And after that, we had uh, some thinkers that came up with the two to control these groups. Uh, I'm talking about the Frankfurt School, Frankfurter Schule, Frankfurt School. This is in Germany. This is in the 1920s. Yeah, 1920s, 1923s, something like that. You know, in the Goethe University, we had thinkers that really said that uh, the way we can control these groups are... Uh, we have to use language. The co- language control mm-hmm. is v- is the beginning to control 
people's thinking and people's action. So we had now we have now the what we call collectivism. Collectivism is to put people into categories to dominate over them. So a woman, for example, she has to be feminist. Otherwise, she's a, you'll be attacked by the feminists. Yeah. You know, there is no freedom anymore. You, yeah. If you are a woman, you have to behave, you have to speak, you have to think, and you have to act the way the group wants you to do it. A collective group. Collective yeah. group. Yeah. And, uh, and this is a principle that is very important that was discovered in the 20th century. Yesterday, right, I was talking about this, yeah. is that the way you speak, you think, and the way you think, you behave, you act. So if you want to, if you want to control the way people think, you have to control the way people speak. Wow. So this is why you have so many attacks upon language. Yeah. They change the language every time. Some words have no meaning. You know the LGBTQ yeah. community, right? They have some other letters, but they have a Q. Yeah. Q, Q means queer. What is queer? Nobody knows. I mean, if you ask anyone what queer is, no, he wouldn't be able to explain. Why? Because this is a word with no definition. Wow. You know, if you have words with no definition, how can you think properly? Yeah. I mean, you can't define queer, but nowadays you can't define truth. You can't define what a woman is. Yeah. Yeah. So they are messing up with language. We don't know how to talk to people anymore. We can't say if someone is blind, you can say you're blind. People think, well, maybe I can't use this word. I have to, to say you know, in a different way, a more polite way or stuff like that. So you don't use the language as you used to use in the past. Yeah. It's, it, mean, it means that we're not thinking as the way we used to think in the past. The control of language is not something really new. Uh, many thinkers uh, try to do that. Yeah? We have George Orwell's uh, 1984 book. Yeah. Uh, he tries to do the same in a fictional realm, but we have also Gables, the genius behind Hitler, that tried to do the same in the Nazi project. The Minister of Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels. Yes, we have uh, Stalin in the Soviet Union experiment trying to do the same. In nowadays, we have the intellectuals in the universities yeah. doing the same. Right. I mean, you have you seen uh, Matt Walsh's uh, What is a Woman? It's a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, a f- it's very interesting. I mean, what he does, he goes to different universities talking to professors over there and he just asks one question was a woman yeah and you know he's talking about professors at the most prestigious universities in the world right. and they don't they cannot answer that was a woman you know this is in a we are okay with that we can't be okay with that yeah you know it's craziness in the yeah, it's a. Let me let me get Joe in here. Joe, uh, yeah. I know you're interested in these topics like I am. Do you have a question or two? Yeah, well, I'm fascinated by the discussion. It's been a pleasure listening. 
Uh, our guest is Tassos Lycurgo. Um, Just to reiterate, Tassos is an ordained minister, attorney, professor, and pastor. And I noticed in your uh, bio, Tassos, that you have either attended university uh, or taught at universities all around the world, uh, including PhD studies and so on. So I guess my question is, uh, since many of us are listening to this podcast in the United States or North America, what do you see going on uh, in the world in relation to what you're what you've just been talking about? I think that would be helpful. Uh, but also, is there any good news? Because it doesn't sound so good from a lot of a lot of people's perspective. It looks like the West is in decline because Christianity appears to be in decline. How do you see it in your travels and speaking around the globe? The Western is in decline. Christianity is in decline. That's true. But there are two organizations, two institutions that can resist. The only these two, two institutions, one is the church and the other one is the family. Mm. Family and church are the institutions that r can really resist, resist to what is happening. You know, when... All these racist talk the universities are doing right now. When you go, you come to the church in, in, in Galatians 3, 28. Yeah. You know, Paul writes that there is no slave or free woman or man, uh, Jew or Greek. Every, everybody a is... A revolutionary statement. It's a revolutionary statement. Everyone is, the, is one in Jesus Christ. Amen. It was written when 75% of Ath uh, the population of Athens... Uh, Athens? Athens. Athens. 75% of the population of Athens were slaves. Yeah. And 50% uh, of population of Rome were slaves. So Paul was courageous enough to write this. So in the church, everybody is the same in yeah. Jesus Christ. So we have to affirm that. We have to make it very clear. We have to speak up. We have to take a stand. We can't be cowards. We yeah. are soldiers. We, God counts on us to be very courageous, to speak up what, what is the kingdom of God. Everyone is the same in Jesus Christ. So that's one thing. And the other thing is the family, because the, what collectivism wants to do is to give you an identity from outside. Mm. You know, you're not yourself. You are a woman first. You're not yourself. You are black person first. You're not yourself. You are indigenous first. You are white first. I mean, you are yourself. You are in individuality. In the family, we realize our identity in the family first. So when we reaffirm the values in the family, we understand that our identity can be told by someone outside the family. You know, this is why there are so many attacks upon the family. You know, abortion, abort, abortism, abortionism, uh, feminism, uh, the weakness of men. Men in our days are very weak, very weak. You know, 
uh, they say that there is such, such thing as toxic masculinity. There right. is no such thing as toxic <laughs> masculinity. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Masculinity means to be protective, yeah. to be leader. This is masculinity. A provider. Provider. Yeah. yeah. There is no such thing as toxic masculinity. All that talk is against the family. So the answer to your important question, my brother, is this. Yes, the Western is really bad. No, universities are the way we know, but we can resist. And there are only two institutions that can do that, is the church and the family. People expect a lot from the government. This is wrong. I mean, the government is very important, very, very important. But the government is not the most important institution we have to put our hope on. The most important institutions we have to put our hope on is the church that takes a stand and the family. These are the most important institutions. Joe, I, uh, not too long ago, I heard a Christian leader say that uh, what we need is uh, uh, the family needs to be the, the new monastery of the West, just as, just as when the Roman Empire collapsed, the monastery kept the Christian community, ideas, uh, education, kept it moving, that our families need to be a, a place that shields them from these, uh, you know, uh, badness and falseness and ugliness that, that is out there in that kind of perspective. Joe, another question or comment from uh, you? Yeah, uh, uh, another question, again, based on what you were just talking about, uh, Tassos, uh, and the fact that you are an attorney. Uh, some people, I, I guess I would say uh, me and others like me, sometimes we look at what's happening in the United States and we see that laws are being passed left and right that seem to be working towards perhaps someday uh, the outlaw of Christianity itself. So I wonder from your perspective as, a, as an attorney, do you think more Christians ought to consider the law as a profession just so they can stem the tide? You mentioned the family and the church as the institutions that need to wage war against this, but is the way to do that possibly for some people to go into practicing law? I think Christians should be everywhere, everywhere, in the law field, in the educational field, in the cultural field, in the arts field. It's very important. Uh, some churches, I know that they don't like very much to support Christians in this, what they call secular world. But there is no such thing as secular world if you think about it. Our life is sacred, yeah. regardless where we are. If you are in a turning, you have to be there and people have to see Christ in the way you act. If you are a teacher, people have to see Christ where you are. I mean, the thing is that, is Christianity the truth or not? If it is the truth, it has to be everywhere. You know, any as you know, Christianity is not a worldview that allows us to force anyone to be a Christian. You no, know, someone becomes a Christian because he's convinced 
of Christianity, and then he gives his life to Jesus Christ. So, yes, we should be everywhere. It's very important. I see some groups, some churches, even some conservative groups, there are anti-intellectual groups. Mm. It is very, very difficult. You have to understand that as as we can read in the first Peter 3.15, right? Uh, we have our faith, but we have to be able to give the basis, intellectual basis for our faith. And we do that in the, our profession uh, where God puts us. This is what we're called to do. We have a 100% time calling. We're not just Christians when we cross the church's doors. We Christians everywhere, anytime. So we should be anywhere doing what God's, God wants us to do. Very good. Um, Tassos, I want to return to your citation of Galatians 3.28. Uh, again, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the two largest groups, people groups to join Christianity were slaves and women. And it comes out of this Christian proclamation, no difference between Jew and Gentile. I mean, that would even rub Judaism the wrong way. Um, no difference between Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, slave and free. Wow, what a, what a cataclysmic uh, statement. And then no difference between male and female. I mean, this was a statement made by the Apostle Paul in Galatians, probably written in the late, 19, late 40s of the first century. So Christianity was speaking to these issues of race, gender, and class centuries ago. Yes, you're 100% right. Christianity speaks about today. I mean, the Bible is not outdated, right? The Bible is eternal. Yeah. Right? All cultures, all times. All cultures, all times, yes. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's maybe pick up a couple of these, uh, these issues. One of the things we talk about on Clear Thinking, Tassos, is uh, I like to convey the idea that I don't tell people what to think. As a, as a professor, as an instructor, uh, even through my uh, ministry here at Reasons to Believe, I don't tell people what to think. I help them to learn how to think. I want to give my students a tool chest where they can think through these ideas. But at our great universities, uh, Princeton, Yale, uh, Harvard, uh, which were initially Christian universities, uh, there is a, a, a lack of, uh, of what I would call a classical liberal education where your goal is not to uh, engage in propaganda. Your goal is to allow a person to think through the issues and make their own assessment of these. How, how can we confront this battle, uh, this cultural war in terms of education? I mean, some people are suggesting that our universities in the West are by and large lost. What are your thoughts? Yes, you mentioned Harvard, right? The first Harvard's motto was the truth for Christ and the church. Wow. Right? Yeah. Harvard, maybe the largest or maybe the best university in the world, just began as a Christian school. Yeah. Not only Harvard. I mean, if you yeah. 
here in the States, you can say Harvard, Princeton, EAUK. In, in England, Cambridge, Oxford. Yeah. They all started as a Christian school, right? And not only that, I mean, universities are really possible because of Christianity. I mean, if you really think that the reality can be understandable, is intelligible, is because you assume that there is an intelligence behind reality that organizes reality intelligently in order to be understood in, by intelligence. Yeah. Right? So the university is the way is possible because of Christianity. But in nowadays, due to the communist ideas, universities became very, very... Uh, they don't want different kinds of worldviews, yeah. right? The diversity the communist accepts is only this, if there is the diversity of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. If you bring different ideas, they don't accept it. And it, it has a very difficult consequence. If students don't are present presented to different worldviews, they become very unintelligent. Because it's only when you have different different thoughts, different systems of ideas, different worldviews, and you have to choose between them. You have to art articulate your thinking. No look for evidences. Look for the empirical world to choose which one is true and which one is not true. That you really develop yeah. your intelligence. Yeah. This is a reason why in nowadays students are very, very low in their capacities. In Brazil, uh, you know, for many years, students score the same thing in the PISA exam. Mm. You know, that's not good. That's not good. I mean, you have the decrease of IQ intelligence in wow. the generation to generation, which is, this is not natural. The natural thing would be the future generation to be a higher IQ than the former one, right? Yeah. But in nowadays, in the Western, it's happening the opposite. So universities are really you know, dominated by the communist uh, ideology and they don't accept different ideas. How do I, what do I do when I'm there? What, what, what I try to say is that I'm the really one pro-diversity. I'm the really one yeah. pro-diversity. I want diverse thinking. I mean, you can think the way you want. I mean, don't care. But let me think the way I think is right, right? Yeah. Don't attack me because I have a conservative worldview, a Christian worldview. In Brazil, if you do... Any other religion at the university, you'll be okay. But if you want to teach, for example, uh, the Bible from an intellectual perspective, because the Bible is very, very impressive, right? You have 84 facts or persons that are proved by history or archaeology in the book of Acts. Mm. I mean, you can't study ancient history if you don't consider, if you take if you don't take into account the book of Acts, no yeah. written by Luke. I mean, in the Gospel of John, you have 54 
facts or persons that are proved by history or archaeology. Yeah. Why you shouldn't under, uh, study this? Right. So that is what I'm saying. And, um, no, everywhere I go, what I say is that it says that you no, know, let's study different stuff and let the students choose. Yes. Let them choose. Right? Right. No, but the communist thought wants the students to be militant. I mean, they don't want the students anymore. They want militants. Not only universities, since the beginning, since the you know, preschool, kindergarten, all yeah, the way wow. up, they are training people to be militants. We have lots of you know function functional illiterates, people that cannot read a page and understand what has been written, you know, what he, he read. So it has to be changed. It depends yeah. on on what we we do as a church and uh, as family to change that. Joe, how about another question, comment from you? Uh, I'm just enjoying the discussion. Uh, uh, I guess I, I, I'm um, wondering about uh, some of the people that you've talked to here in the United States who know your background and uh, appreciate uh, you know your studies and what they would say uh, is is the issue. I'm talking about that Christians. Would they agree with you? Uh, yeah, that we we have a definite problem here. The church is not leading the way. The family unit is under attack. Universities are going the wrong way. Do you find agreement there, or do you find some people say it might be something else? Uh, what's been your experience? From my perspective, there no, there is no such a thing as a progressive biblical church. Mm. So there's no, no Christianity doesn't accept people to be communist. Communism, from my perspective, is is some is an ideology of Satan. Wow. That, yeah, communism is satanic, right? So this is what I really think. And I, when I go to churches and talk about these issues, they agree for the most part. But the problem I see in some churches is not what they think, but how they behave themselves. They, they have to take a stand. We have to speak up. We have to let people know what is true. People are really afraid of what is happening. In Brazil, we have lots of persecution, lots of persecution. You can imagine, it's happening everywhere. Here in the, in the States, things are different because this country was founded on, upon the creed. Yeah. It's stronger, you know? You have the possibility, freedom of speech is something that is very important here, but it's not everywhere in the Western civilization. Yeah. What Christians have to do is to be courageous, to speak up, you know, to let people know what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. We can't accept that. I see Christian parents like you no know, using neutral language with their kids. Mm -hmm. That's unimaginable. Christian parents using neutral language with their kids. I mean, if you the way you speak, remember the way you speak, you think the way you think, you act. What what will be the next generation of Christians? Weak men, 
you know, progressive people, communists destroying the church. Uh, many churches in nowadays, they don't want to talk about the gospel. They don't want to talk about the truth. They don't want to talk about the message, repent. What they want to do sometimes is to be an institution to do charity, mm. right? Charity is something important, but this is not the end of the church, right? If you do charity in the church, you have to do it, but the end is when you do the charity, you have to talk about Jesus. You have to talk about salvation. Yeah. This is what our business is to talk about the way to eternity. So churches are, some of some churches in nowadays are changing. They just want to be, you no. Know, uh, charitable institution, no getting money from the society so people feel good. They deal with their no guilty because they are giving money. But what's happening to everyone that is doing that? They are just just going very slowly in a very smooth ladder that in the end would be hell. Mm. Right? So... What I'm saying is that I go everywhere in the world maybe to say the obvious. O the obvious has to be said. Yeah. And many Christians are not doing that, right? Mm. Courage is a rare trait. Yeah. Ex um, just one thing. Sure. Courage. There is no virt virtue without courage. Mm. Right? Even Aristotle said that. Yeah, Aristotle said that, right? Yep. I mean, many people said that. Yep. Courage is like the... Uh, someone said courage is the ladder, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember that say? Yeah, uh, Aristotle said that courage is the virtue that guarantees all other yeah. virtues. Yeah, what I'm, What I always say is that courage is like a door through which all the other virtues have to pass. Yeah. There is no virtues if you're not courageous. That's right. Uh, Tassos, uh, lots of our listeners to Clear Thinking, they're bookish people. They like to read books, like to think about worldview. What are some good authors that you think can help people think about some of these topics we've addressed today? You know, when you, we go to Africa, they have over there, they have the big five, right? You know, the, the big five? <laughs> the I would say the big five, my opinion. On conservatism, I would suggest Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke. And Russell Kirk. Russell Kirk. Yeah. When it comes to the aesthetics, I would uh, suggest Roger Scruton. The British author, yes, scholar. Yes, Roger Scruton. He passed away not long ago, right? He had right. cancer. Yeah. yeah. And we have an American that is a genius. He's still alive. Nine years old, right? Ninety years old, right? Yes. Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell, and it comes to all this racist uh, stuff. Thomas Sowell, uh, he's a genius. I mean, I really appreciate his books and uh, an economist. He is. He's an economist. And the other one would be more on taking responsibility for your life. Uh, this is something that is happening nowadays. You know, everyone wants to be a victim. You know, the victimhood is the main characteristic of this generation. Uh, weak people that you know, do everything to be a victim of something. Uh, 
And I, the, the truth is that, you know, if something's not working, wake up earlier before the sun rise. This is what you have to do, right? We are people that are called to work hard, yeah. to help people, to defend liberty, to defend freedom. This is what we have to do. And uh, when it comes to that subject, I would suggest Jordan Peterson. Yeah, very yeah, influential. So, so Roger Scruton, Thomas Sowell, Edmund Burke, Russell Kirk, and Jordan Peterson. The big I would, five. The big five, in my opinion. There are many others that are really sure, good, sure. but I don't want to give you a list of 10 or like sure. five would be good. How can uh, people who are listening, how can they read your material? How can they get in touch with what you're doing? Well, my Instagram uh, is mainly in, in Portuguese. In, it's uh, my name, Tassos, like Corrigo, T-A-S-S-O-S-L-Y-C-U-R-G-O. That's my Instagram. I'm, and, uh, I'm publishing a book uh, in the beginning of next year about okay. this subject in English as well. Great. Yeah, so it'd be available uh, next year. Very good, Joe. Uh, it's been great to have Tassos on our program, and uh, I know our listeners, they'll want to seek out these authors, so thank you. It's, it's been a real privilege. You are a man of courage, and that, that's a very important virtue in life, especially among academics. How can it be different if you are a Christian? Uh, you know, uh, when we go to heaven, we be face to face to Jesus, and uh, uh, you know, we have to say something over there, right? I mean, there is no option. There is no option actually. You can't say I'm not. To, I'm, I'm not gonna be courageous. There is no option, yeah. right? So there's not a big deal. I'm just a Christian. Yeah. All right, Joe. Our guest has been Tassos Lycurgo, President of Defense of Faith International Ministries, Ministerio Defesa da Fe, and the website is defesadafe.org, and you'll get uh, that uh, site in Portuguese. But if you know a little bit of Spanish like me, you might be able to figure some of it out. So <laughs> I've already been there and saw your blog, so uh, thank you for that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. For Can Samples and our guest, Tassos Lycurgo, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.